Back in 2014, I created a one-person show called Robert's Eternal Goldfish. I put together the show for a local theater festival called Out of the Loop. Um, I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and this was in a, the small town of Addison, Texas. They billed it as the Out of the Loop Fringe Festival, but it was not a traditional fringe festival. It was mostly a uh, local theater festival with uh, kind of indie theater acts and uh, a smattering of one-person shows and dance and puppetry and, and traditional theater and so on. My intention behind putting together the show was twofold. First of all, I wanted to participate in this local festival again, and I had done so previously and had a very good time, and I wanted to put together something that would get me in the festival and I could stand you know, in solid company with, with the other, other acts and other theater companies and theater artists that were chosen to participate in this particular festival. The other thing was to, to put together a character, a fictional character, in a fictional narrative who had very different traits than I feel that I possess, like different than my own, my own qualities. I wanted the character to be harsh and uh, unlikable and chaotic with a hair-trigger temper, and so that's what I did. I, I put together this, this show about a very misanthropic gentleman named Robert J. Roberts. Uh, originally he was named Charlemagne J. Roberts, but I uh, I thought it was funnier if I gave him his first and last name to be the same, so it's, it's now Robert J. Roberts. Uh, anyway, he becomes this kind of unlikely custodian of a goldfish, uh, a rather magical goldfish, that, that just won't seem to die. I find it fascinating that, that sometimes in old like fairgrounds and carnivals and stuff, they would give like little kids as a prize if you won like a carnival game, a goldfish in a bag. And when I was a kid, I, this happened several times, and without fail, that goldfish died within a couple of days, just almost as a matter of course. And uh, so I always kind of grew up thinking goldfish don't live very long lives, which is weird because doing research for this show back in 2014. I realized that uh, there are some goldfish that live <laughs> very, very long lives, like uh, like the kind of koi goldfish that you find in koi ponds, like in Japan. Anyway, I put together this show, and it's this kind of dark comedy with this rather, I want to say, he, he's, it's a hateful character, but, but very amusing, and like a train wreck, the audience can't seem to turn away and look away from him. And uh, this was my sophomore effort. I put together this show after I put together my first solo show called Chop. Uh, I didn't want my exploration into solo performance to be sort of a, a one-hit wonder situation. The play Chop that I originally put together way back in 2009-2010 was about... Um, a very isolated man who stumbles into an underground amputation fetish group. And uh, it is also a dark comedy, but, but much more romantic. Anyway, Robert's Eternal Goldfish became my sophomore effort. And I would like to talk about it today in this particular episode because uh, last week, June, uh, kind of the tail end of June, 
2022. Uh, I spent a long weekend in Denver, Colorado, and I presented my solo show, Robert's Eternal Goldfish, and it was the first time that I had presented it to live audiences since 2018. And uh, I just kind of wanted to talk about the experience of getting back on the horse, basically getting back out into the world and performing at a fringe festival once again, the Denver Fringe Festival. So, my name is Brad McIntyre, and you're listening to the Cultivated Playwright Podcast. This is episode number 32. So this summer I was accepted into the 2022 Denver Fringe Festival. I have applied to several Fringe Festivals for the summer of 2022. A lot of the applications had to be in uh, months and months and months ago. And out of the ones that I was accepted for and was available to attend, Denver was one of the first ones here in June and one that I was very excited to go to. The Denver Fringe Festival is unique in that it started in 2020 during the pandemic. So the first two years of its existence, it was basically made up of digital theater projects. So 2022, now its third year as a Fringe Festival, marked the first time that this particular Fringe would be having live, in front of live audience performances. So this is the first time they're bringing artists in from around the country to perform in venues there in Denver for Denver audiences. And, of course, <laughs> as expected, there, there would be a couple of hiccups. First of all, they had a very difficult time making an impact on the city. Unfortunately, um, there were other events, which I'll talk about here in a second, happening. And the audience turnout was pretty bleak. Um, it was bleak for me, but from the other shows that I observed while I was there and the other people I talked to, they also had a very hard time getting audiences. The audiences that did turn out seemed to be very enthusiastic, but I, I watched all the shows in my own venue, and everybody struggled to have crowds of more than 10 people. Uh, I only had five audience members in the first two performances, like... The first two performances on a Thursday and a Friday night. Um, now, I had the unfortunate and consistent time slot of 5 p.m. Um, I don't know why this particular festival didn't stagger the performance times, but I, I consistently had to perform at 5 p.m., which is not a prime time slot. It's okay, though. I mean, I rock it out regardless. But... I had uh, only five people in the audience for my one-man show, the first two performances. On the, the third of the four performances, I had a pretty decent crowd of several dozen. And then my last and final show, I had three. I had three audience members, which is not the lowest amount that I've ever performed for. I have performed for one person. As long as one person shows up for a one-person show, and I'm already there and ready to go, I... I'll always perform, but it was a bit demoralizing. Uh, that that final show on my on Sunday afternoon only had three people, and one of those audience members was a fringe volunteer. 
So uh, they had a hard time getting audiences out. Um, I think the marketing person did their jobs. And speaking only for myself, I don't know about the other performers, but I did a great deal of marketing. I sent out press releases and approached local press. I even had a local uh, actress there in the Denver theater community give me a heads up on who specifically I should contact at several different resources like local bloggers and alt-weeklies and so on like that. Um, I scattered postcards everywhere to, to various venues and to Fringe Central and I handed them out to people you know that I just came across and struck conversations up with. So I didn't feel that I, I let my end of the marketing down. It's just there wasn't the audiences. It also happened to coincide with two big events. First of all, the NHL hockey playoffs were that weekend, and the Colorado Avalanche, I don't know why I said it like that, the Colorado Avalanche hockey team, it ended up winning the Stanley Cup, but that whole weekend the sports bars were packed. In fact, one sports bar um, which was a venue for one of the Fringe shows, ended up kicking that Fringe production out when they found out that the uh, Avalanche were going to move into the finals. And uh, that, that poor group of, of acts had to scramble to find a different venue. The, the Fringe was scrambling to find these people a different place to perform and get the word out that they were going to be in a different place. Uh, so not cool venue, not cool. Also, Pride Fest was also happening the same weekend. And I imagine the fringe organizers didn't realize until preparations were already well underway that, that both of these events were going to be happening, or at least the NHL was a potentiality. Because as a producer of a festival from the past, I used to produce a solo performance festival in Dallas called the Dallas Solo Fest. It, without fail, if I found a free weekend as the, as the preparations got underway and I started sending out applications and, and securing the venue and securing uh, staff and all that kind of thing, all that kind of behind the scenes stuff. As we got closer, that weekend would get filled up with other cultural offerings that just seemed to come out of the woodwork that I knew were going to uh, be in competition with my festival. So the other cultural offerings, and there were a lot of them in Denver that weekend, affected all kinds of stuff from like the venues and people's attention to like parking spots and it just seemed like the fringe in its third year just wasn't a major player in the city yet like just on the whole the whole town didn't quite know about it now despite these setbacks everyone that i met connected with the denver fringe from staff to volunteers to the tech that was in my venue to fellow artists that you know like other fringe performers from around the country that were converging on Denver, everybody seemed to be really hospitable and friendly. I, like, I didn't meet any just outright jerks, which was really refreshing. Like, it's really nice because we haven't been doing this stuff in a long time. Like, meeting in person for a Fringe Festival together hasn't happened in a couple of years. So it was nice to see everybody, you know, kind of pulling, pulling in the same direction and, and supporting each other. I performed... In the event space, uh, my particular venue was in the back of the Blue Moon Brewery. Uh, Blue Moon Beer. This is my first time performing in a brewery, actually. Yeah, they have like a little pr private event space in the back, and that's where I was. And uh, they just kind of set up seats on the floor, and I performed against a wall. 
<laughs> the single light it was not high tech at all, and it's okay. My show didn't need any further, any further tech. I keep this this particular show very, very fluid and portable. But it wasn't a theater venue, and I kind of wish it had been. I saw some good shows while I was out there. Um, as I said, I saw the other shows in my venue, and I kind of traveled around and saw a couple of other shows. One of the shows I saw was absolutely phenomenal. It was not at my venue. It was at a, another venue altogether. It was at a dance uh, theater um, in like the adjacent neighborhood. On Friday evening after my own show, after my unfortunate and rather consistent time slot of 5 p.m., I headed off for the 7.30 showing of Josephine, a burlesque cabaret dream play. And it was put on by a group out of Orlando, Florida. Uh, the company was called Dynamite Lunchbox which is a great great name for a theater company. It was a one-woman musical bioplay about Josephine Baker, uh, the singer and dancer uh, from the 1920s and 30s who uh, you know, took Paris by storm and uh, later was uh, kind of an elder statesman in the early civil rights movement in the, the 50s and 60s. The, the play was created by director Michael Marinaccio, I hope I'm saying his right name, his name correctly, Marinaccio, and then his wife, uh, Tamisha Harris. Uh, the two of them kind of co-created it with a, with another writer who helped him with the music. Anyway, Tamisha played the titular role of Josephine Baker, and oh my goodness, she was incredible. I'll talk about her here a little bit more in a second. Marinaccio was the producer of the Orlando Fringe Festival since 2011, and a few years ago he moved over to producing the Winter Mini Fringe, I guess, there in Orlando. So what I, I guess Lee, what I'm saying is he knows his way around indie theater and fringe theater, and boy, it showed up in that production. He was introduced to me by a fellow performer uh, and colleague, a friend of mine named John Michael who has a, a wonderful solo show called Meatball Seance, and uh, it's from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And uh, he travels around presenting his shows, but he's like, hey, you need to go see this, this show, Josephine, and you need to meet these people. You need to meet uh, Michael and Tamisha. Now, Michael's wife, Tamisha, as I said, was an absolute force of nature on the stage. She was hilarious, and she's just beautiful and an amazing dancer fearless as a performer because of course Josephine Baker was well known for dancing topless with a skirt made of bananas in Parisian nightclubs way back in the 1920s and 30s. Tamisha played the role like literally right up to the edge. She was fantastic. She sang some songs that were so affecting that I actually teared up while I was watching the show including a truly wonderful very moving rendition of Bob Dylan's the times, they are a changing, very idiosyncratic way of singing it. Now, here's the thing. This is the reason I'm, I'm bringing up this particular show. A lot of the shows at the fringes, at fringe festivals in general, and in no exception to this particular fringe festival, they're very small in scale. And sadly, they're just not very theatrical. A lot of them are just a single person on stage standing in a general wash of lights, playing themselves or some version of themselves, telling the audience a story, usually in a very laid-back, conversational way. And 
usually mildly humorous. It's like a, a mildly humorous stand-up comedian in street clothes with a very loose narrative arc. So not an importance on production value, not an importance on theatricality, not an importance on narrative or character. And it's not a strike against these particular kinds of shows, since the emphasis is mostly on sharing with an audience a very idiosyncratic you know, perspective or experience. But these presentations, they're barely theater. A lot of the other productions I saw in my own venue were, were like this. The performers were very likable people, but their shows were barely shows. Now, these shows, these presentations, even though they're barely theater, they still cost the ticket buyer $15. Like, if you walk in off the street to see a fringe show, you pay $15 to see a person standing in their street clothes in a general wash without any production value. You say you pay the same ticket price to see shows like Josephine. And these other shows are sort of the norm at fringe festivals, especially in solo performance. Like I said, my show, uh, it's hard to comment on my show. I might fall into this, I know that I fall into this categorization slightly. I try to make my show as highly theatrical as I possibly can. I play a character. Uh, the character is in a fictional, very tightly written narrative. And when I do it well, like when I perform it well, like right up to the very edge, like the whole play punches above its weight class. And this is by design. I want it to punch above its weight class. I want to give some... I want to give the audience members something that they were not expecting. More than they were expecting. Now, this production of Josephine, it was indeed a cut above. It was not like these other shows. Independently produced and created, it, it was an off-Broadway level show especially with the talent involved and the production values. I mean, the lights and the sounds and the costumes. The script is probably the biggest catching point of this particular production, and it wasn't even a bad script. I mean, it just it suffered the same kind of challenges that biographical pieces often do in trying to kind of piece together a person's life into a thematic and cohesive narrative. But everything else was great. I mean, it... it it had pretty high production values. It had a full light plot and musical numbers and dance segments and audience interactions. And, and it was, pound for pound, probably one of the more theatrical shows I've ever seen at a Fringe Festival. In fact, the, the piece, I believe, had a brief run at the Soho Playhouse off-Broadway way back in 2018. And as after I watched this particular show, and I introduced myself to Michael and to Misha... Um, I was walking back to my car, and I was filled with amazement and just this sense of gratitude. Josephine, this play Josephine, had shown me really what top-shelf, professionally-produced indie theater could do, like what it could be. The fact that a production of such theatrical quality was at this little three-year-old French festival was really inspiring. I mean, I was filled with gratitude as like an artist, as a theater performer. As well, I mean that earlier in the evening, I had delivered my own show in a performance that I was I was really proud of. Like the, I'm a very big stickler about rehearsing for the entire run of my show, so I rehearsed every day because that's what I'm there for. Like I, I show up at the festival. The reason I'm at the festival is to present the show to audiences. Everything else is just icing on the cake. 
I'm not on a vacation. I'm not there to, to make friends and talk shop, even though all those other, these the other things happen. I keep focused on the fact that I'm there to present a show, so I never stop working on the show the whole time I, I'm there. And after presenting this performance that I, that I felt really good about, I felt fortunate after the last two years, like really rather trying years, um, the last two years of being in quarantine with the pandemic and kind of isolated, to be once again in some far-flung place sharing my art with other people. I was meeting fellow artists, I was talking shop and so on, and it felt good to be representing and serving something bigger than myself. It felt good to be doing something that I really just really love doing. I can't express this enough. I really like taking my little one-person shows around to festivals around the country, attending these, these fringe festivals and, and theater fests, meeting new audiences and presenting my work to them. And I feel that I'm marginally good at it. I mean, it's not entirely for me to say, but on my end, I greatly enjoy it, and I feel that I'm offering something of value. But the nice thing about returning over time to a single show... Uh, so this, this show, Robert's Eternal Goldfish, I've been performing since 2014, is that I get to present the show to disparate audiences in disparate locations. And I make these small, little, wonderful, illuminating discoveries continually as it goes along. Like, over time, the piece seems to deepen like, I learn more about my own piece of theater, the one that I have created. I learn more about it by just continuing to do it. Like, just continuing to, to travel around and present it. And this was the case in Denver. This was the, the same thing. I found out more stuff about my show. Now, on top of that, I got to catch up with a, a gal that I went to high school with way back in the day who, along with her husband, is still involved in the theater and keeping quite active, and gave me the lowdown on the theater scene there in Denver. I had really good food. I had strong drink. I mean, after all, I was <laughs> I was in a brewery, <laughs> so it didn't, I could just walk out after the performance and grab a beer. I listened to audiobooks on the drive. I was very glad to be back in the mountains once again. And even though it only lasted for one you know, long weekend, it was a really, really good trip. And it was a nice reminder of why I love taking my work out to Fringe Fest. And I gotta say, I'm super grateful that the world is opening up enough, once again, to allow this to happen. That I'm doing it once again. Hey, thanks for listening. Uh, my name is Brad McIntyre. Uh, you can find information about me, as well as a link to uh, the Robert's Eternal Goldfish uh, website at bradmcintyre.com. Uh, you can also find uh, more information, including show notes, and I'll put links to some of the things I've discussed, like the, the website for uh, the Josephine play. I'll put it on the Cultivated Playwright podcast website, which is cultivatedplaywright, all one word, dot wordpress.com. Anyway, thanks for listening. Have a fantastic day. Until next time.